Freedom, as you know, is certainly not free. Men and women have paid an awesome price for us to enjoy the freedoms that we hold dear. And my prayer is that God will bless America, land that I love, that he will walk beside her and guide her, and that we will do everything in our power to stand for the principles of righteousness. In God we trust will be our motto as we walk together into the future. So I am proud to be an American today. I'm more proud to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. Amen, amen, amen. Well, we're beginning a journey today through the national holidays that will take us through the month of July during our Super Sunday Family Fun Days. And I'm gonna tell you the title of the message before we watch the video. Um, the holiday that we're celebrating today or that we're recognizing is called Compliment Your Mirror Day. So I just want you to have your life enriched by knowing that in America, there is a holiday for you to compliment your mirror. We'll look at that in just a little bit. But between services and after second service, we want to celebrate together outside. There are inflatables, the train will be running, there'll be a lot of things happening. And we have a food truck and we have ice cream available for everyone. And to get that, you need to go to the registration table, get a ticket for an entree and a ticket for an ice cream, and then you can give those to the vendors, which enables us then to pay for the materials that you've taken. If you want a second, you are welcome to get a second after everyone's gone through their first, but you have to pay for the second one. So let's take time in between to really celebrate what it means to be part of the family of God. And in preparation for the message this morning, watch this video. Compliment your mirror day. Only in America would that ever be a holiday. How many of you are old enough to remember the Fonz? And that iconic scene where he walks up to the mirror and pulls out his comb to fix his beautiful hair. And as he starts to touch it, he stops and he goes, you can't improve on perfection. When a day is celebrated there's a point to be made in the celebration. There's some reason that it came into being. And today is July 3rd, compliment your mirror day. So just as, as a reflection of that, I saw this in Pastor Lewis's office, I think is where I saw it. 
um, a sign on the wall that says, hello, beautiful. I don't know if he felt like he needed some additional affirmation or just exactly what he needed. But Ikea in 2014 developed a talking mirror that would compliment you. It's hilarious to watch the videos. Um, I've not seen it made available anywhere since or what the price would be. But it would, it would be set up and you'd walk up to it and it had a little bit of artificial intelligence where it could walk or, or could see and measure what was happening. And some of the things it would say, man would walk up with a beard and would say something about that's an amazing beard or lady, you look amazing in that outfit. You are a wonderful person and would compliment. Well, it's actually the reverse of that, that you're complimenting the mirror, Mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? Who hasn't heard that phrase? However, we quote it wrongly, originally it was, magic mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? So the idea is to compliment what you see in the mirror. When you walk up to the mirror, to look at the mirror and compliment your own image. Let me give you a little bit of idea how it's suggested that we celebrate that. Here's what you need to do today, according to those who celebrate, um, compliment your mirror day. Stand in front of the mirror with your eyes closed. Put a big, sorry, put a big smile on your face. Now open your eyes. Isn't the picture of the person in your mirror absolutely stunning? Don't let this special holiday be overshadowed by the 4th of July, and I thought that's really characteristic of our culture. Make sure you celebrate you before you celebrate the freedoms we hold dear. I found a list of seven ways to celebrate this day, <laughs> and I'll be watching. Compliment yourself each time you walk past a mirror. Write an inspiring quote on your mirror in washable window marker. Wear your favorite color and remind yourself how flattering the hue is on you. Spend the day thinking positive thoughts about yourself and continue this practice on a daily basis. Uh, pamper your skin with a hydrating facial. Wear lipstick, that's for the ladies. <laughs> you do have to clarify today. Or shade or shade that you reserve for special occasions. Buy a vanity or revamp your existing one, add soft lighting and pretty decor that expresses your fabulous personality. Find your inspiration on Pinterest. This holiday was developed by a man named Robert Louis Birch, an American librarian who enjoyed words and playing with words. He also, uh, he also created National Trivia Day Swap Ideas Day, Lumpy Rug Day, and National Trivia Day. And his idea was to get people talking and exchanging ideas and interacting with each other. And you may have heard of his book, Memory Dynamics, where he teaches you how to use images to remember facts and details. His business was called Pun Corporation. And it's a corporation that in 1981 would publish the game Trivial Pursuit. So that was his real claim to fame. So what is the purpose? What's the real defined purpose of Compliment Your Mirror Day? We live in an image, an image-driven world. Sometimes this can cause us to not notice and compliment a very important person in our lives, ourselves. 
This day motivates us to look in the mirror and recognize all those things that make us exceptional inside and out. It's about raising our self-worth and recognizing that we have a lot to contribute to our families, workplace, society, and communities. And as I read all that, I thought, you know, I think we need to get a Bible balance and find out what the Bible says about self-image and self-worth and you complimenting yourself. And it might be a little bit surprising on this journey. We're going to be in Romans chapter 12 through verse 7 if you want to follow along with the scripture. And the first principle that I'm going to give to you that you may choke on for a moment is that we should think highly of ourselves. We should think highly of ourselves. <laughs> yeah, no amens. <laughs> thinking highly of yourself is not the problem. The problem is thinking too highly of yourself. So if it's wrong to think too highly, there must be a level of thinking highly that's okay. How many are with me so far? If too highly is wrong, then there must be a measure of highly that is appropriate that we're called to. So I did a little work on that word highly to find out what it means and think about this. It really refers to having an understanding that creates wisdom. So when you're looking at yourself, an understanding of who you are that will create wisdom. To feel, to think to have an opinion about yourself. And every one of us in this room has an opinion about ourselves. To think or judge what one's opinion is. In the context of a group, it means to be of the same mind, to direct your mind to a thing, to strive for something, and to be on someone's side. So it has to do with understanding who you are and having a right view of that from a biblical perspective. Now, I don't know if you've thought about this, but there's much in Christian faith that rests upon how you see yourself, how you view your life. Let me just share with you some scriptures. The Bible tells us in Leviticus chapter 19, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people. Do not seek a grudge or bear revenge, but love your neighbor as yourself. What's the key to not bearing a grudge? What's the key to not seeking revenge? Loving your neighbor at the level that you love yourself. Now, I know that that is interpreted to mean as you, as you are, to treat them as you would want to be treated. But I will tell you, I know for a fact that people that hate themselves hate other people. People that are hurt hurt other people. And when you are having a struggle with who you are and anger and animosity on the inside, you will project that and strike out at others. Proverbs chapter 19 verse 8 says, he who gets wisdom loves his own soul. He who gets wisdom loves his own soul. That wisdom will put you in a place that you celebrate who you are. Matthew chapter 12, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no greater commandment than these. Galatians chapter 5, the entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. James chapter 2, if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. And that carries over to the marriage relationship in Ephesians chapter 5 in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies he who loves his wife loves himself for no one has ever hated his own body but nourishes and tenderly cares for it as the Messiah does for the church 
So we've got to define what love is. It's not an emotion. And I will tell you that um, if you're kissing yourself in the mirror, we'll get that in the next point. <laughs> but the idea being is, is that you are not going to be able to respond appropriately to people around you if you're filled with brokenness and self-hatred and self-loathing. Love is the commitment to the well-being of another, and you need to be committed to your own well-being. That's why we feed on the Word. That's why we spend time in prayer. That's why we pray in the Holy Spirit, is so that we will be edified and strengthened. Acceptance and appreciation of who God made you to be is a healthy biblical model. Let me illustrate it this way. In this whole concept of loving ourselves, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. And you need to celebrate the gifts that God has placed in you and what he's done in your life. I'll illustrate it this way. Some years ago, uh, if you've been in my office and kids like to come in and look at the aquarium, I have a 125-gallon aquarium in my office. I've done aquariums since I was a kid. We had them growing up. I've had them not during Bible college, but most of my life I've been uh, enjoying aquariums. Someone say, it's, is it peaceful? Not always. When they eat each other, it's not peaceful. When they're dead on the bottom, it's not peaceful. But we were about to leave, we were here at Berean, about to leave for, I believe it was general counsel, and I noticed that the back of my aquarium was dripping. I don't have time to do anything about it. We're leaving the next day. I can't just go buy one. I can't do anything about it. I thought of another aquarium hobbyist in our church, Bill Campbell, and I said, how would you like some free fish? And uh, Bill came over and took those off my hands so they wouldn't die, and we drained it down, and I left. It was empty, and uh, my fish were gone. It was a sad day. <laughs> I came back from General Counsel, another aquarium fan, got together three other couples. So four couples went together and bought a refurbished 125-gallon aquarium, put it in my office, and when I got home from uh, that trip, when we got back, I walked into my office, and there's an aquarium full of water, running, filters are running, decorated, on my stand, ready to go. That was a happy day. That's something I should be happy about, correct? Is there anybody in the house today? Have you ever gotten a gift you were happy about? Now imagine if this is how I responded, began to talk to you, anyone who wanted to listen. And I said, yeah, these four families um, gave me an aquarium. It's 125 gallons, and I was really wanting to get 175 gallons. Or I was wanting to downsize to 55 gallons. Or I were to say, it was filled with water, but the pH was too high. Or I don't know who decorated that. That's not the way I would decorate. I appreciate their effort, but it just didn't quite measure up. How many of you would want to tell me to shut up? Is anybody with me so far? Well, think about this. You have been gifted by God. Before you were born in the womb, he knew you. 
We have gifts of God placed in us. We are stamped with the image of God. And when you walk around condemning yourself and berating yourself and making fun of yourself, you're doing the same thing that I just described with a gift given to me. It's handled wrongly and it shows that you disrespect the giver of the gifts. Hello? You disrespect the giver of the gifts because it's not about you, it's what he's done in your life. And we all know, how many of you have heard of Rodney Dangerfield? Wasn't his real name, but Rodney Dangerfield built a career on I don't get no respect. And here's the principle, I'm going to share with you a little bit about him, but here's the principle that I want you to grab hold of this morning. Self-deprecation, which was his model of comedy, self-deprecation is not a virtue. You running yourself down, self-deprecation is insulting yourself and running yourself down is not a virtue. You might have heard of some of these lines from Rodney Dangerfield, I don't get no respect. My psychiatrist told me I was crazy. And I said, I want a second opinion. He said, okay, you're ugly too. <laughs> I told my psychiatrist that everyone hates me. He said I was being ridiculous. Everyone hasn't met me yet. I'll wait. And then he said, because he would cast that on others, he said, my wife's cooking is so bad that the flies fix our screens. <laughs> and he built a whole career on that. So I did a little research into his past. Was it a shtick or was it real? And I will tell you that a lot of that was real. He was Jewish, grew up in the Northeast. And at that time that he was growing up, he was made fun of, picked on, discriminated against because of his heritage. His mother was not affirming or complimentary at all. And he tells a story of how when he was old enough to get a job, she said, you need to get a job and open a savings account so that you have something when you graduate from school that will get you started on the right road. So he did that and opened a savings account, was making regular deposits, and a time came that he wanted to draw some money out of that account, and when he went to draw it out, found out it was gone. His mother had withdrawn all of his funds and spent them. And he wonder why his humor might be self-deprecating? Because when you're broken on the inside, you can't see anything good on the outside. It is not the will of God for you to be negative about who you are. And many times we fall short of the will of God because we believe the devil's lies about us and not the word of God's description of us. And we go down a road of constantly saying we can't do anything, we don't amount to anything, our life doesn't matter, and that's a really unhealthy place to be. We're so afraid of pride. We're so afraid of pride that we make sure we're groveling that we don't get near that. And that is not the will of God. I can't tell you how many times it's been said to me and it's been, I've heard it said to others that someone will come up to compliment you or me and they'll say this, I want to say something to you, but I don't want it to go to your head. 
And my response is, don't worry. If my head gets too big, there are plenty of people around to let the air out. (laughs) But what is it about us that we become afraid to give a compliment that it might puff them up? It's because we're afraid of thinking too highly. And I want to just drive into you that you you are a creation of God, stamped with the image of God, and you should celebrate that, and you should celebrate his giftings, and you should celebrate what God's doing in your life. How many of you are different today in Christ than you were 10 years ago? That's worth celebrating. Is there anyone in the house this morning? You should think highly of yourself. Jesus died for you. God gave his son for you. He's given gifts to us, and we should celebrate that. Self-deprecation is not a virtue. So the next time you hear someone running themselves down, you're commissioned to say, stop that. Don't worry about their head getting too big. Worry about them getting too low. We should build one another up. Encourage one another. Well, this is going well. Second, though, there is a balance. We should not think too highly of ourselves. That is true. Thinking too highly becomes the problem. When we move into arrogance and pride, that's what results from puffing yourself up. We believe things about ourselves that are not true. And I came across a list of 10 markers that will help you understand whether you're thinking too highly of yourself. How do we know when we're thinking too highly? You ready for this? 10 markers. This is really good. Number one, you unfriend on Facebook everyone who disagrees with you. Number two, you think too highly of yourself when you start gossiping behind other people's backs. That's a sign of pride. Number three, you inflate your accomplishments. You know what they say about fishermen? The first liar doesn't have a chance. (laughs) You inflate, how big was that we were talking? How big was that fish you caught? Oh, it's about this big. You inflate your accomplishments. Number four, you never show your vulnerable side. Number five, you cannot take constructive criticism. Number six, you ready for this? Arrogance and pride. You think you are the exception to the rules. That's arrogance. Number seven, you're willing, you are unwilling to do the work necessary to accomplish your goals. Number eight, you're afraid to take risks. Number nine, You hide behind fake profiles and fake relationships. And number 10, you refuse to take responsibility for your actions. It's always somebody else or circumstances. All of those are marks of thinking too highly of yourself. Studies have been done that when you artificially elevate the self-esteem of students... The reverse of what is intended is what happens. When you simply tell, (laughs) I'm sorry, when you simply tell children they're all winners. How many of you know adults in the workplace that we're not all winners all the time? Anybody ran into that? Yeah, we're not all winners. 
when everybody gets celebrated the same, when you simply artificially inflate their self-worth, what has been demonstrated to happen is that, that it results in reduced effort and lower performance. When you artificially inflate it, you're investing pride and arrogance into children and adults, and they will perform less, and they won't work as hard because their self-worth is connected to the artificial stimulation and not for what they've actually done and worked for in their lives. And it will create for them a fragile state of mind. You'll have a nation full of cupcakes and snowflakes because their self-worth has been artificially inflated and they can't survive in a real world where not everybody thinks they're special. Pride and arrogance is destructive. Scripture deals with it over and over again. You begin to believe the devil's lie about puffing yourself up, that you can be like God, that God isn't telling you the truth, and this self-exaltation puts you in a place that there's a spiritual and psychological fragility that will destroy your life. That's why God says that he resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. And humble is not self-deprecation, it's seeing yourself the way God sees you. So the thrust of that is yes, but here's what I think to be absolutely true. I think if I get proud, he's capable of fixing that. Did you ever read about Nebuchadnezzar? How'd you like to eat grass like an ox? He has a way of bringing us to a place of humility. He resists the proud. So while I said that self-deprecation is not a virtue, I also want you to understand that self-exaltation is a vice. Self-deprecation is not a virtue, but self-exaltation is a vice. Pride is strongly rebuked in Scripture. James talks to us about seeing ourselves in the Word of God, that when you read the Word of God, you need to let it read you, and describes the foolishness of a man that looks in a mirror and sees himself and then walks away and doesn't do anything about what he saw and goes on in his foolishness and destructive ways. I'm fine, even though we're not. So the goal then is third, we need to think soberly about ourselves. Now watch, I'm going to bring this all to a conclusion that I hope will help us this morning. We must think soberly of ourselves. Sober thinking is extolled in Scripture. Clear, honest, justifiable thinking. Not diluted thinking or thinking with diminished reasoning. Seeing ourselves through the eyes of God. And so I would, I would challenge you in the substances and chemicals that are available in our world today that we're told that the devil goes about like a roaring lion, that we need to be sober and vigilant. And throughout Scripture, sober thinking is championed and so if you're at a place that you know you don't need to think rightly, go ahead and diminish your capacity. But if you don't know when that's going to be, then maybe we should continue to think rightly, soberly, empowered and anointed by the Spirit, not jeopardized by chemical 
impacts on our thinking processes. Is anybody hearing me this morning? Thinking soberly, thinking rightly, and seeing ourselves through the eyes of the Lord. So what does that mean? Well, he says in Romans chapter 12 that we're to think soberly as God has distributed faith to each one of you. So now here's where it's going to get real. That's all my introduction. Are you ready? Everybody buckled in? We're going to buckle in right now. Well, pastor, I just don't have any faith. I can't tell you how many times over the years I've heard that. Well, pastor, I just don't have any faith. You just called God a liar. You can say, I believe, help my unbelief. I need to grow in faith. But every one of us has been given by God a measure of faith, and we should celebrate that. I'm a person of faith. I have faith for whatever God wants for my life. I'm a believer and a follower of Jesus. And if you're going to compliment your mirror, go ahead, look in the mirror and say, I'm a man of faith. I'm a woman of faith, not because I'm unique, but because God has given me a gift. Come on, someone help me this morning. He's given me a measure of faith and I'm going to celebrate that gift that he's given to me you have faith you have faith he gave it to you we've been given a measure of faith in that there are different giftings and different abilities and different uh, responsibilities so he goes on to say that that not all of us have the same job or the same task but we've been watch this we've been given a measure of faith With that comes differing abilities, and we've been given different gifts according to the grace that's given to us. You've been given not just faith, but you've been given a gift. And we've allowed the devil to take that away from us. You have something we need in the kingdom of God, you have a gift. You have a ministry gift. God didn't intend for you to sit on a log like a toad and just not do anything, catch flies. There's something you need to do for the kingdom. There's some purpose you have in the kingdom of God. Well, I don't have any gifts. Yes, you do. Because I'll believe God before I believe you. Hallelujah. The problem is, You have listened to the devil's lies, who is the accuser of the brethren, telling you you have nothing to offer, and you're worthless and wasted, and you can't do it like someone else does, and you've not let the word of God shape your mind. You've been given grace. You've been given faith. You've been given a gift, and it's time for the church to rise up in that and not be afraid of arrogance, but say, I'm a faith-filled, gifted child of God, and I'm going to honor him with what he done in my life. Is there anyone in the house this morning? Compliment him when you look in the mirror and instead of seeing you, you see a reflection of Jesus. So I've said to you that self-deprecation is not a virtue. Self-exaltation is a vice. Third, spiritual gifts Provide validation. How do I know if I'm thinking rightly about myself? Here's the practical part of that. 
You know you're thinking right about yourself when you have identified your gifting and you're walking in it and serving the body of Christ with the gift he's given you. How do I know I'm thinking rightly? When I'm walking in faith and walking in the gift. And if you don't know what that is, then let him show it to you and find it. But you're in the right place mentally when you're serving Jesus and the body of Christ with the gift he's given you. Your gift doesn't have to be everybody's gift. We're not all an eye. We're not all an ear. We're not all a toe. We're not all a tongue. But the body needs every part of the body to be able to function. So he goes on to describe that in some detail. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. What does that mean? Prophesying is being the mouthpiece of God. And some of you, God wants to use you to give a word to people around you, not reading their driver's license or coming up with some crazy mystical thing. Don't try to operate where your faith isn't, but be in a place where when he speaks to you, you validated that and you can speak life into someone else's life. God wants us all to prophesy. If it's serving, then serve. Some of you have a gift of serving. Then serve. Well, nobody shows appreciation. Oh, that's arrogance. That's pride. Because when I get a gift from him, I give it back to him to serve him. I use Ron Blair more than a janitor a lot because he says he's just a janitor, but I can tell you the times as a janitor, I've seen him counsel with someone in the lobby, praying with someone in the lobby, pouring into somebody's life, sharing in staff meeting. All of those things are more than a janitor, but he's willing to give his gifting. He's never once come to me and said, Pastor, I think I've shown my value by vacuuming, and now I want to preach on Sunday. Are you catching what I'm saying? He has a gift and he is satisfied when he's doing what God's called him to do in serving. If it's teaching, then teach. It doesn't say wait for a class, then teach. Find a way to teach. If it's encouraged, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's show mercy, do it cheerfully. And I could preach on every one of those, but that's the validation. How do you know if you're thinking rightly? You have your gift in your hand and you're using it to serve him and the kingdom. Pastor Nathan, if you join me on the platform, here's where the bottom line is. Are you thinking highly enough about yourself to be in service to the king? This may seem like a weird, 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 weird altar call, but some years ago, 1987-88, Michael Jackson performed a song called Man in the Mirror. When he presented the song in its longer version, he was joined by Andre Crouch and his choir. How many have heard of Andre Crouch? Because there was a significant spiritual component to that song. Let me read to you the lyrics of the song. I'm starting 
with the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his ways. No message could ever be clearer. If you want to make the world a better place, then take a look at yourself and make the change. The song talks about the trouble, the brokenness, the discrimination, the hunger, the poverty in the world. How are we going to solve that? He said, I'm going to solve it by talking to the man in the mirror. Are you willing to make a change? So do you. I feel like this could be Liberation Day for somebody. A moment when you decide, I'm going to quit listening to the devil's lies about how insignificant and ungifted uh, I am. And I'm going to start believing what the Word of God says about me. I'm going to discover my gift, and I'm going to use it for the kingdom, whatever that gift may be. And you'll hear God say, good morning, beautiful, because you are stamped with his image. Let's stand together, could we? And I'm just going to ask you to take a moment to ask God to rid you of devilish thinking that keeps you in bondage and to start thinking soberly because you're a person of faith. You're a person of grace and you've been given gifts. Let's use that for the kingdom's sake. I'm so unworthy but still you love I'm captivated by your great mercy. I'm overwhelmed by what you've done in my to know you more is my heart's one desire. Draw me into your presence. Lead me into your Saturate me, breathe upon me your breath of life. Call me, Lord, I will answer. Send me, Lord, I 
sing that again. I surrender. I surrender now forever. My heart is yours. Faith filled gifted people of God, let me hear your hands this morning. When you say there's nothing I can do, you're speaking the devil's lie. When you say I have a gift from God and I'm going to use it, you're speaking biblical truth. There's a, and I'm going to close with this, there's a, a, a lady that Carol I know, one of the most gifted um, pianists, organists I've ever heard. And when she was alone, you could hear her express her gift. But she was never able to use it to bless the body of Christ the way she could because she was always saying, I'm not capable, I'm not able. The devil had clouded her mind. Let's think highly according to the measure of faith and the gifting of grace so that we can serve the body. And when we look in the mirror, we'll see Jesus looking back at us. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for your giving. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your investment in the kingdom. Please stop out on the parking lot and grab something to eat. I know it's a little early, but it's lunchtime somewhere. Get something there, some ice cream, an entree, and let's enjoy some good time together.